5. Pocket all his life. And he studied it as a boy at school studies a hard lesson. By it he learned three things. First, to do the right thing. Next, to do it at the right time. Last of all, to do it in the right way. As he was never tired of helping himself to get upward and onward. So, too, he was never tired of helping others. He started the first public library in Philadelphia, which was also the first in America. He set on foot the first fire engine company and the first military company in that city. He got the people to pave the muddy streets with stone. He helped to build the first academy, now called the University of Pennsylvania. And he also helped to build the first hospital. 118. Franklin's experiments with electricity, the wonderful ball, the picture of the King of England. While doing these things and publishing his paper besides, Franklin found time to make experiments with electricity. Very little was then known about this wonderful power, but a Dutchman, living in the city of Leiden in Holland, had discovered a way of bottling it up in what is called a Leiden jar. Franklin had one of these jars, and he was never tired of seeing what new and strange thing he could do with it. He contrived a picture of the King of England with a movable gilt crown on his head. Then he connected the crown by a long wire with the Leiden jar. When he wanted some fun he would dare anyone to go up to the picture and take off the king's crown. Why that's easy enough, a man would say, and would walk up and seize the crown. But no sooner had he touched it than he would get an electric shock which would make his fingers tingle as they never tingled before. With a loud oh, oh, he would let go of the crown, and start back in utter astonishment, not knowing what had hurt him. Footnote 16, Experiments, here an experiment is a trial made to discover something unknown. Franklin made these experiments or trials with electricity and with thunder clouds in order to find out what he could about them. 119, The Electrical Kite, but Franklin's greatest experiment was made one day in sober earnest with a kite. He believed that the electricity in the bottle, or Leiden jar, was the same thing as the lightning we see in a thunderstorm. He knew well enough how to get an electric spark from the jar, for he had once killed a turkey with it for dinner, but how could he get a spark from a cloud in the sky? He thought about it for a long time, then he made a kite out of a silk handkerchief, and fastened a sharp iron point to the upright stick of the kite. One day, when a thunderstorm was seen coming up, Franklin and his son went out to the fields. The kite was raised, then Franklin tied an iron key to the lower end of the string. After waiting some time, he saw the little hair-like threads of the string begin to stand up like the bristles of a brush. He felt certain that the electricity was coming down the string. He put his knuckle close to the key, and a spark flew out. Next, he took his Leiden jar and collected the electricity in that. He had made two great discoveries, for he had found out that electricity and lightning are the same thing and he had also found how to fill his bottle directly from the clouds, that was something that no one had ever done before. 120. Franklin invents the lightning rod, Dr. Franklin. But Franklin did not stop at that. He said, if I can draw down electricity from the sky with a kite string, I can draw it still better with a tall, sharp wand iron rod. He put up such a rod on his house in Philadelphia, it was the first lightning rod in the world. Soon other people began to put them up, so this was another gift of his to the city which he loved. Every good lightning rod which has since been erected to protect buildings has been a copy of that invented by Franklin. People now began to talk, not only in this country but in Europe, about his electrical experiments and discoveries. The oldest college in Scotland gave him a title of honor and called him doctor a word which means a learned man. From this time, 
Franklin the printer was no longer plain Mr. Franklin, but Dr. Franklin. Dr. Franklin did not think that he had found out all that could be found out about electricity, he believed that he had simply made a beginning, and that other men would discover still greater things that could be done with it. Do you think he was mistaken about that? 121. Franklin in the Revolutionary War, Franklin and the map of the United States. When the War of the Revolution broke out, Dr. Franklin did a great work for his country. He did not fight battles like Washington, but he did something just as full. First, he helped write the Declaration of Independence, by which we declared ourselves free from the rule of the King of England. Next, he went to France to get aid for us. We were then too poor to pay our soldiers, he got the King of France to let us have money to give them. Franklin lived to see the revolution ended and America free. When he died, full of years and of honors, he was buried in Philadelphia. Twenty thousand people went to his funeral. If you wish to see what the country thinks of him, you have only to look at a large map of the United States, and count up how many times you find his name on it. You will find that more than two hundred counties and towns are called Franklin. 122. Summary. Benjamin Franklin was born in Boston nearly 200 years ago. He went to Philadelphia when he was 17. He started a newspaper there, opened the first public library, and did many other things to help the city. He discovered that lightning and electricity are the same thing, and he invented the lightning rod to protect buildings. In the revolution, he got large sums of money from the King of France to pay our soldiers and to help Washington fight the battles which ended in making America free. What had Philadelphia grown to be by 1733? Who did a great deal for Philadelphia? Tell what you can about Franklin's newspaper. What else did he publish? What sayings did he print in his almanac? What saying of Solomon's did Franklin's father use to repeat to him? Did he ever stand in the presence of any kings? Tell what you can about Franklin as a boy. Where did he live? What did he do? How did he save money to buy books? Why did he run away? Where did he go? Tell what you can about Franklin's landing in Philadelphia. How did Franklin look to Miss Reed? Where did Franklin find work? What happened to him when he went back to Boston on a visit? Why did Franklin go to London? What did he do there? What did they nickname him in the printing office? What did Franklin do after he returned to Philadelphia? Tell the story of the sawdust pudding. Tell about Franklin's plan of life. What did he do for Philadelphia? What experiments did Franklin make? What about the picture of the king? Tell the story of the kite. What two things did he find out by means of this kite? What did he invent? What title did a college in Scotland now give him? Did Franklin think that anything more would be discovered about electricity? What two things did Franklin do in the revolution? What is said of his funeral? How many counties and towns in the United States are now called by his name? George Washington 1732-1799 123 a Virginia boy, what he became, what he learned at school, his writing books. In 1732, when Franklin was at work on his newspaper, a boy was born on a plantation in Virginia who was one day to stand higher even than the Philadelphia printer. That boy when he grew up was to be chosen leader of the armies of the revolution, he was to be elected the first president of the United States, and before he died he was to be known and honored all over the world. The name of that boy was George Washington. Washington's father died when George was only 11 years old, leaving him, with his brothers and sisters, to the care of a most excellent and sensible mother. It was that mother's influence more than anything else which made George the man he became. George went to a little country school, 
where he learned to read, write, and cipher. By the time he was twelve, he could write a clear, bold hand. In one of his writing books he copied many good rules or sayings. Here is one, footnote one, plantation. George Washington was born on a plantation or a large estate cultivated by slaves on Bridges Creek, a small stream emptying into the Potomac. See math in paragraph 127. Not long after George's birth February 22, 1732, his father moved to an estate on the Rappahannock River, opposite Fredericksburg. See math in paragraph 127 for this place and Mount Vernon. 124. Washington's Sports and Games playing at war, Captain George. But young Washington was not always copying good sayings, for he was a tall, strong boy, fond of all outdoor sports and games. He was a well-meaning boy, but he had a hot temper, and at times his blue eyes flashed fire. In all trials of strength and in all deeds of daring, George took the lead, he could run faster, jump further, and throw a stone higher than anyone in the school. When the boys played soldier, they liked to have Captain George as commander. When he drew his wooden sword and shouted come on, they would all rush into battle with a wild hurrah. Years afterward, when the real war came and George Washington drew his sword in earnest, some of his school companions may have thought under their old leader. 125. The Great Battle with the Colt. And what came of it? Once, however, Washington had a battle of a different kind. It was with a high-spirited colt which belonged to his mother. Nobody had ever been able to do anything with that colt, and most people were afraid of him. Early one morning, George and some of his brothers were out in the pasture. George looked at the colt prancing about and kicking up his heels. Then he said, Boys, if you'll help me put a bride along him, I'll ride him. The boys managed to get the colt into a corner and to slip on the bridle. With a leap, George seated himself firmly on his back. Then the fun began. The colt, wild with rage, ran, jumped, plunged, and reared straight up on his hind legs, hoping to throw his rider off. It was all useless, he might as well have tried to throw off his own skin, for the boy stuck to his back as though he had grown there. Then, making a last desperate bound into the air, the animal burst a blood vessel and fell dead. The battle was over. George was victor, but it had cost the life of Mrs. Washington's favorite colt. When the boys went into breakfast, their mother, knowing that they had just come from the pasture, asked how the colt was getting on. He is dead, madam, said George, I killed him. Dead, exclaimed his mother. Yes, madam, dead, replied her son. Then he told her just how it happened. When Mrs. Washington heard the story, her face flushed with anger. Then, waiting a moment, she looked steadily at George, and said quietly, While I regret the loss of my favorite, I rejoice in my son, who always speaks the truth. 126. Washington goes on a visit to Mount Vernon, he makes the acquaintance of Lord Fairfax, George's eldest brother, Lawrence Washington, had married the daughter of a gentleman named Fairfax, who lived on the banks of the Potomac. Lawrence had a fine estate a few miles above, on the same river, he called his place Mount Vernon. When he was 14, George went to Mount Vernon to visit his brother. Lawrence Washington took George down the river to call on the Fairfaxes. There the lad made the acquaintance of Lord Fairfax, an English nobleman who had come over from London. He owned an immense piece of land in Virginia. Lord Fairfax and George soon became great friends. He was a gray-haired man nearly sixty, but he enjoyed having this boy of fourteen as a companion. 
they spent weeks together on horseback in the fields and woods, hunting deer and foxes. Footnote 3, Fairfax. This was the Han, William Fairfax, he was cousin to Lord Fairfax, and he had the care of Lord Fairfax's land. 127. Lord Fairfax hires Washington to survey his land, how Washington lived in the woods, the Indian War dance. Lord Fairfax's land extended westward more than a hundred miles. It had never been very carefully surveyed, and he was told that settlers were moving in beyond the Blue Ridge Mountains, and were building log cabins on his property without asking leave. By the time Washington was sixteen, he had learned surveying, and so Lord Fairfax hired him to measure his land for him. Washington was glad to undertake the work, for he needed the money, and he could earn in this way from five to ten dollars a day. Early in the spring, Washington, in company with another young man, started off on foot to do this business. They crossed the Blue Ridge Mountains, and entered the Valley of Virginia, one of the most beautiful valleys in America. The two young men would work all day in the woods with a long chain, measuring the land. When evening came, Washington would make a map of what they had measured. Then they would wrap themselves up in their blankets, stretch themselves on the ground at the foot of a tree, and go to sleep under the stars. Every day they shot some game squirrels or wild turkeys, or perhaps a deer. They kindled a fire with flint and steel, and roasted the meat on sticks held over the coals. For plates they had clean chips, and as clean chips could always be got by a few blows with an axe. They never washed any dishes, but just threw them away, and had a new set for each meal. While in the valley they met a band of Indians, who stopped and danced a war dance for them. The music was not remarkable, for most of it was made by drumming on a deer skin stretched across the top of an old iron pot. But the dancing itself could not be beat. The savages leaped into the air, swung their hatchets, dashed the trees, and yelled till the woods rang. When Washington returned from his surveying trip, Lord Fairfax was greatly pleased with his work, and the governor of Virginia made him one of the public surveyors. By this means he was able to get work which paid him handsomely. 128. Washington at the age of 21, the French in the West, the governor of Virginia sends Washington to see the French commander. By the time Washington was 21 he had grown to be over 6 feet in height. He was straight as an arrow and tough as a whiplash. He had keen blue eyes that seemed to look into the very heart of things, and his fist was like a blacksmith's sledgehammer. He knew all about the woods, all about Indians and he could take care of himself anywhere. At this time the English settlers held the country along the seashore as far back as the Allegheny Mountains. West of those mountains the French from Canada were trying to get possession of the land. They had made friends with many of the Indians, and they hoped, with their help, to be able to drive out the English and get the whole country for themselves. In order to hold this land in the west, the French had built several forts south of Lake Erie and they were getting ready to build some on the Ohio River. The governor of Virginia was determined to put a stop to this. He had given young Washington the military title of Major. He now sent Major Washington to see the French commander at one of the forts near Lake Erie. Washington was to tell the Frenchman that he had built his forts on land belonging to the English, and that he and his men must either leave or fight. Major Washington dressed himself like an Indian, and attended by several friendly Indians and by a white man named Just who knew the country well. He set out on his journey through what was called the Great Woods. The entire distance to the farthest fort and back was about a thousand miles. Washington could go on horseback part of the way, but there were no regular roads, and he had to climb mountains and swim rivers. After several weeks travel he reached the fort, 
but the French commander refused to give up the land, he said that he and his men had come to stay, and that if the English did not like it, they must fight. 129. The journey back, the Indian guide, how Washington found his way through the woods, the adventure with the raft. On the way back, Washington had to leave his horses and come on foot with just and an Indian guide sent from the fort. This Indian guide was in the pay of the French, and he intended to murder Washington in the woods. One day he shot at him from behind a tree, but luckily did not hit him. Then Washington and just managed to get away from him, and set out to go back to Virginia by themselves. There were no paths through the thick forest, but Washington had his compass with him, and with that he could find his way just as the captain of a ship finds his at sea. When they reached the Allegheny River they found it full of floating ice. They worked all day and made a raft of logs, as they were pushing their way across with poles. Washington's pole was struck by a big piece of ice which he says jerked him out into a water ten feet deep. At length the two men managed to get to a little island, but as there was no wood on it, they could not make a fire. The weather was bitterly cold, and Washington, who was soaked to the skin, had to take his choice between walking about all night, or trying to sleep on the frozen ground in his wet clothes. 130. Major Washington becomes Colonel Washington, Fort Necessity, Braddock's defeat. When Major Washington got back to Virginia, the governor made him colonel, with a hundred and fifty men. Colonel Washington was ordered to set out for the West. He was to make prisoners, kill or destroy all Frenchmen who should try to get possession of land on the Ohio River. He built a small log fort, which he named Fort Necessity. Here the French attacked him. They had five men to his one. Colonel Washington fought like a man who liked to hear the bullets whistle past his ears, as he said he did, but in the end he had to give up the fort. Then General Braddock, a noted English soldier, was sent over to Virginia by the king to drive the French out of the country. He started with a fine army, and Washington went with him. He told General Braddock that the French and the Indians would hide in the woods and fire at his men from behind trees, but Braddock paid no attention to the warning. On his way through the forest, the brave English general was suddenly struck down by the enemy. Half of his army were killed or wounded, and the rest put to flight. Washington had two horses shot under him, and four bullets went through his coat. It was a narrow escape for the young man. One of those who fought in the battle said, I expected every moment to see him fall, but he was to live for greater work. 131. End of the war with the French, what the King of England wanted to do, how the people here felt toward him. The war with the French lasted a number of years. It ended by the English getting possession of the whole of America from the Atlantic Ocean to the Mississippi River. All this part of America was ruled by George III, King of England. The King now determined to send over more soldiers, and keep them here to prevent the French in Canada from trying to get back the country they had lost. He wanted the people here in the 13 colonies to pay the cost of keeping these soldiers, but this the people were not willing to do because they felt that they were able to protect themselves without help of any kind. Then the king said, If the Americans will not give the money, I will take it from them by force, for pay it they must and shall. This was more than the king would have dared say about England, for there, if he wanted money to spend on his army, he had to ask the people for it, and they could give it or not as they thought best. The Americans said, We have the same rights as our brothers in England and the king cannot force us to give a single copper against our will. If he tries to take it from us, we will fight. Some of the greatest men in England agreed with us, and said that they would fight, too, if they were in our place. 
132. The king determines to have the money, the tea ships, and the Boston Tea Party. But George III did not know the Americans, and he did not think that they meant what they said. He tried to make them pay the money, but they would not. From Maine to Georgia, all the people were of one mind. Then the king thought that he would try a different way. Shiploads of tea were sent over to New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and Charleston. If the tea should be landed and sold, then every man who bought a pound of it would have to pay six cents more than the regular price. That six cents was a tax, and it went into the king's pocket. The people said, we won't pay that six cents. When the tea reached New York, the citizens sent it back again to England. They did the same thing at Philadelphia. At Charleston they let it be landed, but it was stored in damp cellars. People would not buy any of it any more than they would buy so much poison. So it all rotted and spoiled. At Boston they had a grand tea party. A number of men dressed themselves up like Indians, went on board the tea ships at night, broke open all the chests, and emptied the tea into the harbor. 133. The king closes the port of Boston, Congress meets at Philadelphia, the names American and British, what General Gage tried to do. The king was terribly angry, and orders were given that the port of Boston should be closed, so that no ships, except the king's warships, should come in or go out. Nearly all trade stopped in Boston. Many of the inhabitants began to suffer for want of food, but throughout the colonies the people tried their best to help them. The New England towns sent droves of sheep and cattle. New York sent wheat. South Carolina gave 200 barrels of rice. The other colonies gave liberally in money and provisions. Even in England much sympathy was felt for the distressed people of Boston, and in London a large sum of money was raised to help those whom the king was determined to starve into submission. The colonies now sent some of their best men to Philadelphia to consider what should be done, as this meeting was made up of those who had come from all parts of the country. It took the name of the General or Continental Congress. About this time, too, a great change took place, for the people throughout the country began to call themselves Americans and to speak of the English troops that the king sent over here as British soldiers. In Boston General Gage had command of these soldiers. He knew that the Americans were getting ready to fight, and that they had stored up powder and ball at Concord, about 20 miles from Boston. One night he secretly sent out a lot of soldiers to march to Concord and destroy what they found there. Footnote 14, Congress, this word means a meeting or assembly of persons. The General or Continental Congress was an assembly of certain persons sent usually by all of the 13 American colonies to meet at Philadelphia or Baltimore, to decide what should be done by the whole country. The first Congress met in 1774, or shortly before the Revolution began, and after that from time to time until near the close of the Revolution, the fight at Lexington and Concord, Dunker Hill, but Paul Revere, a Boston man, was on the watch, and as soon as he found out which way the British were going, he set off at a gallop for Lexington, on the road to Concord, all the way out, he roused people from their sleep, with the cry, the British are coming, when the King's soldiers reached Lexington, they found the Americans, under Captain Parker, ready for them, Captain Parker said to his men, don't fire unless you are fired on, but if they want a war, let it begin here, the fighting did begin there, April 19, 1775, and when the British left the town on their way to Concord, seven Americans lay dead on the grass in front of the village church, at Concord, that same day, there was still harder fighting, and on the way back to Boston, a large number of the British were killed, the next month, 
June 17, 1775 a battle was fought on Bunker Hill in Charlestown, just outside of Boston. General Gage thought the Yankees wouldn't fight, but they did fight, in a way that General Gage never forgot, and though they had at last to retreat because their powder gave out, yet the British lost more than a thousand men. The contest at Bunker Hill was the first great battle of the Revolution, that island of that war which overturned the British power in America, and made us a free people. Many Englishmen thought the king was wrong, they would not fight against us, and he was obliged to hire a large number of German soldiers to send to America. These Germans had to fight us whether they wanted to or not, for their king forced them to come. 135. Colonel Washington at Mount Vernon, Congress makes him General Washington, and sends him to take command of the American army. At the time the Battle of Bunker Hill was fought, Colonel George Washington was living very quietly at Mount Vernon. His brother Lawrence had died, and Mount Vernon was now his home. Washington was very well off, he had a fine estate and plenty of slaves to do the work on it, but when he died, many years later, he took good care to leave orders that all of his slaves should be set free as soon as it could be done. Congress now made Colonel Washington general, and sent him to Cambridge, a town just outside of Boston, to take command of the American army. It was called the Continental Army because it was raised not to fight for the people of Massachusetts, but for all the Americans on the continent, north and south. Washington took command of the army under a great elm, which is still standing. There, six months later, he raised the first American flag. 136. American sharpshooters, Washington's need of cannon and powder, the attack on Canada, the British driven out of Boston. Men now came from all parts of the country to join the Continental Army. Many of them were sharpshooters. In one case an officer set up a board with the figure of a man's nose chalked on it. For a mark, a hundred men fired at it at long distance, and sixty hit the nose. The newspapers gave them great praise for their skill and said, Now, General Gage, look out for your nose. Washington wanted to drive General Gage and the British soldiers out of Boston, but for months he could not get either cannon or powder. Benjamin Franklin said that we should have to fight as the Indians used to, with bows and arrows. While Washington was waiting, a number of Americans marched against the British in Canada, but the cold weather came on, and they nearly starved to death, our men would sometimes take off their moccasins and gnaw them, while they danced in the snow to keep their bare feet from freezing, at last Washington got both cannon and powder, he dragged the cannon up to the top of some high land overlooking Boston Harbor, he then sent word to General Howe, for Gage had gone that if he did not leave Boston he would knock his ships to pieces. The British saw that they could not help themselves, so they made haste to get on board their vessels and sail away. They never came back to Boston again, but went to New York. 137. The Declaration of Independence, down with the king. Washington is driven from New York and across the Delaware River. Washington got to New York first, while he was there. Congress, on the 4th of July, 1776 declared the United States independent that island entirely free from the rule of the King of England. There was a gilded lead statue of King George III on horseback in New York. When the news of what Congress had done reached that city, there was a great cry of, down with the King. That night some of our men pulled down the statue, melted it up, and cast it into bullets. Just across from New York City, the British gained the victory. Washington had to leave New York, and Lord Cornwallis, one of the British generals, chased him and his little army clear across the state of New Jersey, 
It looked at one time as though our men would all be taken prisoners. But Washington managed to seize a lot of small boats on the Delaware River and get across into Pennsylvania, as the British had no boats. They could not follow. 138. Washington's victory at Trenton, New Jersey. Lord Cornwallis left 1,500 German soldiers at Trenton on the Delaware. He intended, as soon as the river froze over, to cross on the ice and attack Washington's army. But Washington did not wait for him. On Christmas night 1776 he took a large number of boats, filled them with soldiers, and secretly crossed over to New Jersey. The weather was intensely cold, the river was full of floating ice, and a furious snowstorm set in. Many of our men were ragged and had only old broken shoes. They suffered terribly, and two of them were frozen to death. The Germans at Trenton had been having a jolly Christmas, and had gone to bed, suspecting no danger. Suddenly Washington, with his men, rushed into the little town, and almost before they knew what had happened, a thousand Germans were made prisoners. The rest escaped to tell Lord Cornwallis how the Americans had beaten them. When Washington was driven out of New York, many Americans thought he would be captured. Now they were filled with joy. The Battle of Trenton was the first battle won by the Continental Army. 139. Our victory at Princeton, New Jersey, the British take Philadelphia, winter at Valley Forge, Perwine beaten, the King of France agrees to help us. Washington took his thousand prisoners over into Pennsylvania. A few days later he again crossed the Delaware into New Jersey. While Cornwallis was fast asleep in his tent, he slipped round him, got to Princeton, and there beat a part of the British army. Cornwallis woke up and heard Washington's cannon. That's thunder, he said. He was right, it was the thunder of another American victory. But before the next winter set in the British had taken the city of Philadelphia, then the capital of the United States. Washington's army was freezing and starving on the hillsides of Valley Forge, about 20 miles northwest of Philadelphia. But good news was coming. The Americans had won a great victory at Saratoga, New York, over the British general, Burwine. Dr. Franklin was then in Paris. When he heard that Burwine was beaten, he hurried off to the palace of the French king to tell him about it. The king of France hated the British, and he agreed to send money, ships, and soldiers to help us. When our men heard that at Valley Forge, they leaped and hurrahed for joy. Not long after that the British left Philadelphia, and we entered it in triumph. 140. The war at the South, Jasper, Cowpens, Green and Cornwallis. While this, 